This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. The title of our message today is Family Before Function. Last week we talked about character before charisma, or another word for that is character before gifting. We're in the midst of a series, and for those that are brand new today, I apologize. I'm going to be a mess. I can feel it already, but I'm going to try my best. We're not this sappy usually, (laughs) but some days it's just appropriate. And I think sappy's okay today. Now, I don't give you permission to go see chick flicks or anything like that tonight, but I'm saying I think sappy's okay today. Remember my mom's description of her three sons a number of years ago, and she said, yeah, they're, they're gentle giants. said, they all cry at Bambi. They're all saps. And I was like, thanks, Mom. That is, that is <laughs> the perfect description of the Jeffs boys. We are saps. We started a series last week called Ethos. And it's usually, it literally is the Greek word that describes this, this concept of culture. How many know that we live in a culture that is far from God? How many know that that culture that is far from God, uh, far, far from God tries to seep in to every last sphere of our influence and every last sphere of our lives? Well, we have to make a decision to say, no, we're not going to live the way the world wants us to live, but we're going to live the way God wants us to live. I've learned from my own life that every single person, every single family, every single church has an ethos. We have a culture that defines us and that we live through. But we have to make sure that our culture is completely in alignment to the Word of God. Anything outside of that means we're bringing mixture. We're tainting what God would desire and design for His people and for His kids. Romans 12.2, it says this. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture, your ethos, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So our topic today, what we're going to talk about is family before function. Another word for function would be ministry, career, life call. Family before function. Say that with me. Family before function. How many know that this is a message not very rarely ever taught? In our culture today, we say, keep going, keep pursuing, keep dreaming, keep doing what God's called you to do. Just keep pressing forward. You know, don't worry about anybody else. Just do your thing. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Wisdom there. All right. But God is saying, family is important to God. I don't know about you, but God ordained family as the very first institution in the Bible. 
Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Genesis chapter 2, 21 to 25. The very first institution was marriage and the family. That was the first thing that God instituted. If I can bring in our Lego series, it's the first building block to success in our culture. Family. God places such a high value on family. How do we know that? Well, His Word is filled with Scriptures that reference the importance of family. He describes, as a matter of fact, He describes the church itself as a family. Can I say this morning, so as, as the family goes, so goes the church. As the family goes, so goes society. How many know that the number one thing that the enemy is after right now to destroy is not to steal your salvation because they think he's already given up on that one. But he wants to destroy your family. If families are not powerful, the church will not be powerful. Yeah, if we just get the door shut at the back, that would be awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have five kids and I'm easily distracted. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. We also know that in our culture today that the, the world is trying to redefine family. And I keep saying, well, listen, I don't know about you, but I think God's idea works. I don't think we have to change what was perfect. So I say, let's stay with what the Bible says is accurate. Strong families, I believe, create strong churches. Strong families create strong ministries. And I want to just take some time this morning just to look at probably the most famous sermon that has ever been preached in the history of the world by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 to 6 and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon in the world. I think every preacher has preached 20,000 sermons, including the Sermon on the Mount, at some point in their life. And so I'm going to do it this morning. But I'm going to take Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to go from verse 15. I'm going to go down to the end of that chapter. And I want you to see a couple of different connection points in this story, and sometimes we read this uh, chapter and we kind of take it apart into little bits and we pull out this little story and then we read the next little story and then we, need the, we read the next little story. But you have to understand that the way that the author wrote it, there were no chapters and verses. It was an ongoing story. It wasn't meant to have a little period and end your thought. It actually was a continuing thought. So you can't read one story and not think that it's connected to the next story because they're intimately connected to what follows it. So, it starts in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, and the little, maybe, caption in your Bible will say, the tree and its fruit, okay? It says this, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. How do we know? Well, thank you. You can ask and identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit, just in case you missed the first line. (laughs) You know, know, that's just how it is. I love how God works. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. How many have ever had someone in your life say something hurtful and then right after it, just, just as fast as they finished their sentence, said, oh, I was just joking. Really? Oh, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't, it came out the wrong way. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. How many know that if there's a pattern of behavior in someone's life, it means that there's bad fruit connected to it or good fruit connected to it, depending on what the behavior looks like? So if you ever want to do a litmus test, how many are thankful that when you go to Loblaws or Fresco or No Frills and you love avocados like the Jeff family does, that you actually pick through them to make sure you get good ones? Not ones you open up or are brown on the inside. You know what I'm talking about. Even that doesn't make good guacamole. That's just no good. You know, so it's no good for nothing. You can't eat it, and you can't use it for guacamole. So no tacos tonight. No Taco Tuesday for those that love Lego. Okay? There's no Taco Tuesday. You have to inspect the fruit. So that's what God is saying. So he's starting this off by saying, inspect people's fruit. Why? Well, the next section of verses describes why. And the title from my Bible is True Disciples. It says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, I will, uh, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. Now, I want to just stop for a second. Now, it didn't say that someone showed up on Sunday but lived like the devil the rest of the week. It didn't say that they, you know, could show up, I'm going to put the youth on the spot, that they showed up to their Friday cool club with pizza on Friday at Holy Cross, came to Ignite Youth on Friday night, but lived like the devil the rest of the week. It didn't say that. It didn't say that they were hypocrites. It said they prophesied. It said that they saw people delivered from things. That's pretty significant. I don't know about you guys. That's pretty significant. Can I say another way, and, and I put this in a, in a sense in another context? How powerful your ministry is, is never validated if your family relationships are not healthy. First and foremost is your relationship to Christ. Second is your spouse. Third is your kids. Fourth is everything else. Why? Because when you do that, it literally absolves you or takes away the credibility of your ministry. I don't know about you, when I get to the end of my life, I want God to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not me come to him and say, well, Lord, Lord, look what I did. When we come and we hear something from God, we have to be silent in order to hear it. So we're not coming in with this approach of, look at my gift in God, that's why I should get the special seat in heaven. You know what I'm saying? He's saying, no, 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 no. Come with the right approach. Come with the right priorities. goes on and it says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who, broke, uh, who break God's laws. The interesting verse there is that word new, and I don't want to get weird here this morning, but that word new is the same word that is used to describe the fact that Mary did not know Joseph. It's talking about Intimacy. It said, you could perform a gift for me, but there's no intimate relationship. I don't know you. Jesus rejects those that focus after ministry giftedness, but had been so caught up in their giftedness that they had no relationship. Family before function. They built their ministry on a gift. Yet they should have built it on a relationship. How many love it when people say all these nice things about you, text you with these nice things, maybe Facebook message you with some nice things, but then in the actual dealings of the relationship, one-to-one, face-to-face, person-to-person, you feel distant. 
Am I the only one that's ever had that happen? You're looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. I got 237 friends on Twitter. I got 500. In- <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. Yay for you. That's awesome. You guys just won the award. When you get to heaven, the people with the most followers get to stay by the gate. Is that okay? Is that good? That's awesome. Jesus just told me I'm awesome. It's awesome. But I want to catch a couple of keys in this, this one passage. A couple of keys that we need to get. There's extreme consequences for not building your home. Let me say another one. Our individual ministries in the kingdom and our individual ministries to our family, and I'll say this as well because we're talking church family today, not only to our natural family but to our church family, are inseparable. You can't separate them. Pastor Les, who was the associate pastor, who still is the associate pastor at OCC, the church we came from, preached one of the best messages I have ever heard in my life a number of years ago. And he basically said, you can't say that you love Jesus, who's the head of the church, the head, and not love his body. To separate them would be like serving a headless horseman. It makes no sense. You can't say, I love the head, but I don't love the body. Or, I love the body, but I don't love the head. You get the whole package, right? So here's where it goes on. He says, figure out the tree and its fruit. So figure out the fruit of someone's life. In other words, figure out what's important to them. Figure out to see if they're a true disciple or not. So this is the question God's asking you. Is your fruit genuine? Is it good? Is it coming from a good tree? Is your discipleship or the way that you emulate Christ in your life choices, in your life decisions, does it honor God's word? Well, the third section here in Matthew 7, 24 to 29, it says building yourself on a strong foundation. Some versions say on a solid foundation. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a man or a person who builds uh, a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the religious uh, leaders of the day. Since we build our house on a strong foundation and our family is built on a strong foundation, it is essential that we understand the teaching of Christ when it comes to this particular key idea. What's interesting is when Jesus was telling the story, he knew who he was talking to. He was talking to Jewish people. And they understood significantly because of the geography in which they lived, they understood significantly the effect of this type of issue on their life. So much so that he could relate to them in in ways that went beyond the weather channel of his day. Because of the plains and because of the issues that, uh, geographical issues that happened in that that modern day or that, that day in Palestine, they understood that drought was normal and they understood that monsoon rains were normal. 
the extremes in temperature and the extremes in weather, not temperature, but the extremes in weather patterns in that particular area back then were significant. So they understood that. So Jesus was drawing upon the most foundational aspect of how to build a foundation properly and was saying that to people that understood. Can I ask you this morning, how deep are you willing to dig to build a family that stands every test? I'm going to ask it again. How deep are you willing to dig to build a family that stands every test? Every single test. How many know that the digging process to build a foundation is hard? It's tough. It is hard. How many know that when you see a pattern in your children and you start pulling out your hair, um, like I have, um, how many know that some days it's like, God, what do we do? God, give us an answer. Or take them to jail. One of the two, Lord Jesus, I don't care which one you want to do, but just help us to get through, right? How many know God knows the very heartbeat of your heart because he's put it there? He knows your concerns. He knows your worries. He knows the things that you think about. He knows the things that you're sitting around in your your living room, sitting on a chair at 1130 at night, stewing over that causes you not to be able to go to sleep. He knows it better than you do. So there's three tests that we have to go through. Three tests that are captured in verse 24 to 29. I'm going to talk about them briefly this morning. Number one, the rain test. The rain came. What What is it talking about? Well, rain always comes to test your covering or your roof. How many saw the torrential hurricane rains that were ripping roofs off places in Haiti and in the Bahamas and even a couple places in Florida? I mean, it was ridiculous, some of the stuff that was happening there. But what it does is it comes to test our covering, our protection, our authority. If I can use another word that one we can relate to, our order. The things that we have ordered in our life. How many know that when things are out of order, everyone knows it? But most people in our culture today live out of order but don't change anything. Because out of order becomes normal. And out of order actually feels, in the weirdest kind of way, it feels okay. Because it's what we're used to. But it's interesting, in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm not going to read this whole passage because you guys can read it yourself. But starting at verse 18 and going right through to verse 9 in chapter 6, it actually captures four different groups of people all in connection. I'm just going to read the first part for you. It's Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. It says this. It's going to, be, it's going to start weird, but trick, follow with me for a second. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit. Singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the? Right? In the name of? Who's that? The Trinity. Right? So what's the first step for you? Put Christ first. Put God first. The second section, verse 25, right down to verse 33, it talks about order in the home. It talks about how to minister in the home. First priority is husband and wife. I've often said people who've come to me and said, well, you know, how do you deal with that kind of that word submit? And then people get nervous. And they look at me like I have to come up with some grand explanation for God's purpose. And I say, well, first of all, I like the word honor. Second of all, it says to honor those that would give up their life for you because they love you so much. And out of that comes an honor that comes back that is beyond description, an honor and a respect that comes back that is beyond description. 
we get caught up with the word submission. I love how Pastor Ray talked about it. It talks about sub being under or, or being uh, a part of something else. I'm going to actually get her definition because she gave it to me. Sub means secondary. Mission means a common mission or goal. So the concept of submission is simply this, a secondary act of help to the one in authority or leadership to work toward a common mission or goal. How many know you have to have something in common? God's called you to be a team, to find what's common. Then you work together to fulfill that goal. And in that process, you honor and you submit one to another, Ephesians 5.21. That's a good word, thank you. Okay, moving right along. Can I say this, just for a little bit of people that want to know these things because they're going to write a book on it one day. Men are like thermostats. Women are like thermometers. If, the, if it's too cold, women will tell you. Do you know what I'm saying? Men, set the temperature higher. Then your women don't have to be thermometers all the time saying it's too cold in here. The spiritual climate in this house is too cold. Turn it up. If you set it at a nice 22.3, they'll never complain. That's a good word. Thank you. All right. Okay. Moving right along. Okay. 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 Chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Guess what it talks about? Your kids. Guess what it says about your kids? Kids, are you ready? Caleb, are you ready? Honor your father. And your mother. Oh, come on now. And it, it doesn't stop there. I mean, God could have stopped there, but he didn't stop there. He said, this is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. How many want things to go well? Okay. And you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Another version says, don't exasperate them. Of course, we have never done that before. Never, ever in our life have we ever done that before. Okay, goes on in verse 5 to 9, and it says this, now honor those that you work for. So it's saying, listen, you know how you overcome the rain test? You get priorities right. You put God first. You make sure the spiritual temperature in your life is set to where it needs to be. And allow God to make adjustments. Don't you adjust him. He adjusts you. That's the, word. That's the relationship. Okay? Proper order in a home changes everything. Can I just give some very practical things for us being parents of five kids? Very practical. If you've got kids, especially young kids that are at home, kids thrive off of routine. Kids thrive off of the same bedtime every night or at least close to it. Meals at around the same time. I'm not saying you have to be religious, but you know what? Kids thrive off of routine and healthy expectations. That's a good word. Thank you. Okay, next one. Next one, it says in in, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, it talks about the flood that comes. The flood test is to determine the strength of your foundation. It will test your commitment to your families. It'll it'll test your priorities. It's going to test... Uh, where your focus is. How many know that in any kind of ministerial circle, can I just be honest for a second? When your family is not healthy, the natural default mode in every human being is to find something else to get healthy in so that it overlooks what's not healthy. And this is the problem with, mo- with a lot of church people is when things aren't going well at home, we think that if we can pour into someone else's life that it's going to solve our home life. And God is saying, 
minister out of the strength of your home life so that you can minister to others. Now, I know because I'm a pastor and I've been around the block and I know most of you. I know that everyone's home situation right now on this day, Sunday, whatever it is, October the 23rd, is not perfect. Some of you are going through some very difficult situations. So I'm not telling you don't minister to somebody else. But what I'm saying is focus on making sure that you are doing everything within your capability to do what God is honoring in your home. So what happens if the the person I'm with doesn't agree with that or the person I'm with isn't supporting that? You do the best that you can do. Leave them in God's hands. How many know that them in God's hands is much better than them in your hands? Because if they're in your hands, this is how it usually goes. I think, I think God okays death in the Bible, right? I think that's in there. And then we go, well, at least the Bible says that we can raise people from the dead, so maybe that'll scare them. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then we come back to God's perspective, and he goes, let me adjust them. Let me make them like a polished shaft. God, it's not fast enough. All right, so I have news for you. Do what's best and do what's most important for you. If you can do something in your own life to make adjustments, that's what you do. Awesome? Okay. 1 Timothy 5.8. Can I say it like this before I read this verse? What gets or who gets the best of your time and attention? 1 Timothy 5.8. But those, this is a very encouraging verse, by the way. But those who can't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Amen. Let's go home. Okay. All right. That's good. That's a good word. All right. 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 What's the point? Timothy's trying to say, you have to understand the context. Timothy is, is literally speaking to leaders in churches. Okay. The whole book of first Timothy and second Timothy and the book of Titus is written to church pastors in order to give their ministry more credibility. So he's basically saying, if you put all of your hope, all of your attention, all of your focus in what you do for God, but not in your attention of your relationship with God and those that he has put in your life, then something's off. Can I say this morning, God didn't ever have a ceremony for you and have you come up and ha- hold a placard saying prophetic ministry and have a ceremony where you married your prophetic placard. Oh, you are now married to your prophetic gift. No, that's not how it works. The only one you're married to is the person that's got the other ring on. If you're not married yet, become that person. <laughs> Become the person God wants you to be, okay? Don't wait for that person. Don't, don't, don't long for that person. Become the person God wants you to be right now. But we don't marry our career. We didn't go to our workplace on our orientation day and say, oh, I hereby sign in blood for the rest of my life to be blah, 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 You know, it's like none of that stuff. Mom, I want an iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. You know, it's like, Who cares? You didn't ever make a marriage uh, certificate or ceremony with your job. That was good. But you did with your spouse. You did with God. Okay. Heavies. I got to love the heaviness. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Moving right along. The last test is the wind test. And don't ever think of ideas. I see some people here thinking of ideas. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, we're not talking about too much food on Sunday afternoon watching NFL and something happens it later on. We're not talking about that. All right. I know you were thinking of it, Ryan. I just wanted to make sure. All right. The wind test. <laughs> Sorry. 
Okay. The wind test tries the structure of our home. And our families are constructed out of relationships. The wind test sees how we're relating. Proverbs 11.29, really weird, obscure verse in the middle of nowhere that hit me like a ton of bricks this week as I was, pro- I was processing through. It says this, those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. The fool will be a servant to the wise. Interesting, how many have ever heard of the play Inherit the Wind? About the monkey scope child, remember that from the 1920s? Well, interestingly enough, they actually took the title of their play from this verse. This is where they got it from. Those who cause trouble on their families inherit the wind. What an odds? It's basically saying, bring on the wind. How many want more wind in their life? No, I don't. Dr. Nick Stennett, a psychologist, wrote a book called Fantastic Families, and he talked about six foundation stones that every single family needs to have. He did this as a result of doing a test. Get this now. He did a test over 25 years, including 14,000 families. How many think that's a pretty good uh, test? Okay. 14,000 families over 25 years. And guess what their results were? Six foundation stones. Six foundation stones for families. Are you ready? Number one, commitment. Commit to your family. Number two, express appreciation and affection for your family. Share positive communication with your family. Spend time together with your family. I miss Sundays for that. I miss when we couldn't, no one could work on a Sunday, and the only thing you could do was hang out together. We have to be intentional about hanging out now because we've got all kinds of stuff demanding our time and attention. Letter E, or the fifth thing, is nurture spiritual growth and learn to handle stress and conflict together as a family. In his book, this is what he, a quote from his book, it said this, Commitment is the bedrock on which every family must be built. In the atmosphere of trust and security that mutual commitment creates, every family member can survive any bad time or personal failure. Commitment creates the warm and loving environment in which families grow. It offers a harbor that shelters family members from the destructive forces of fear, anxiety, rejection, or loneliness. Amen? Can I end with a story? I'm going to skip the rest of my stuff here. I want to end with a story. The day that uh, Sandra and I got married, which was a wonderful day, I can remember where on the platform at OCC every single of my sappy tears dropped. Because I was a blubbering mess. And Sandra's just like, what's your problem? Like, come on, hold it together. I'm like, <laughs> you know how you have that feeling where you're going to throw up or pass out, but you don't know which one's going to come first? So you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, do you grab the bucket or do you get your two really big gentle giant brothers to just stand behind in a very strategic place in case the air just starts to be let out and I fall down? And then I can just say, listen, it was slain in the spirit. It was such a godly wedding. It was awesome. It was awesome. But I remember getting up there, and we did something that was very unique. And I know I haven't seen a lot of people do this, but we literally had a prophetic gathering around Sandra and I at the end of our wedding. We had 12, was it 12? 10, 12. 12 pastors, pastor friends of ours, and some dear friends of ours that literally gathered around us and start to prophesy over us on our wedding day, on stage in front of a lot of people. And Pastor Frank, who's our pastor, grabbed the mic. He, he went first. He looked right at me. And he says, Cameron, I want you to look at Sandra. So I looked at Sandra. And he says, there is your first and your last ministry. 
I've never forgotten it. Because if I can't get this right, I can't get this right. If I can't get Josiah, Hannah, Caleb, Gracie, and Abigail right, then I can't get this right. I already know I can't get the Leafs right, so that's like an, that's a whole other topic for another day. But my ministry has got to come from the strength of my marriage. It can't come as I'm hiding from it. My ministry's got to come from the strength of my ability to parent my kids and to be with my kids. It can't come from anything else. A phrase that hit me this week as I was thinking, and I, I want to end with this thought. Don't treat what God calls precious as common. What we've done is we've said ministry is precious. And it is, but it should be the overflow of our relationships. Not in spite of or despite our relationships. Family before function. That's the heartbeat of this church. You've heard me say it for, some some of you have been here a long time. You've heard me say this type of stuff for eight plus years. Why? Because your ministry gathers credibility when your family relationships are good. I want to bring a little disclaimer. As much as depends on you. I've seen some people that have come to me with tears rolling down their eyes and are like, well, my kids have run away from God and I don't know what to do with it. I said, as much as depends on you, pray for them, love them, be there for them. How many know that you are not responsible for the choices of those that are in your family? Right? I'm not responsible for my kids' choices. I hope and pray that they make good choices. Or if not, I may be following them as a stalkerazzi everywhere they go. I'll be showing up when they least expect it. Me and Joel Menarda, we're going to do something really crazy. Joel and I will do something crazy just to get their attention. Because I think him and I think way too much alike. It's scary. But let's treat what is precious as precious, not as common. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.